Walking and Cycling Chapter three of A Foot in England by W. H. Hudson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Walking and Cycling by W. H. Hudson. We know that there cannot be progression without retrogression or gain with no corresponding loss and often on my wheel when flying along the roads at a reckless rate of very nearly nine miles an hour i have regretted that time of limitations galling to me then when i was compelled to go on foot i am a walker still but with other means of getting about i do not feel so native to the earth as formerly that is a loss yet a poorer walker it would have been hard to find and on even my most prolonged wanderings the end of each day usually brought extreme fatigue this too although my only companion was slow slower than the poor proverbial snail or tortoise and i would leave her half a mile or so behind to force my way through unkept hedges climb hills and explore woods and thickets to converse with every bird and shy little beast and scaly creature i could discover but mark what follows in the late afternoon i would be back in the road or footpath satisfied to go slow then slower still until the snail in woman's shape would be obliged to slacken her pace to keep me company and even to stand still at intervals to give me needful rest but there were compensations and one perhaps the best of all was that this method of seeing the country made us more intimate with the people we met and stayed with they were mostly poor people cottagers in small remote villages and we too were poor often footsore in need of their ministrations and nearer to them on that account than if we had travelled in a more comfortable way i can recall a hundred little adventures we met with during those wanderings when we walked day after day without map or guide-book as our custom was not knowing where the evening would find us but always confident that the people to whom it would fall in the end to shelter us would prove interesting to know and would show us a kindness that money could not pay for of these hundred little incidents let me relate one it was near the end of a long summer day when we arrived at a small hamlet of about a dozen cottages on the edge of an extensive wood a forest it is called and coming to it we said that here we must stay even if we had to spend the night sitting in a porch the men and women we talked to all assured us that they did not know of anyone who could take us in but there was mr brown john who kept the shop and was the right person to apply to accordingly we went to the little general shop and heard that mr brown john was not at home his housekeeper a fat dark voluble woman with prominent black eyes who minded the shop in the master's absence told us that mr brown john had gone to a neighbouring farmhouse on important business but was expected back shortly we waited and by and by he returned a shabbily dressed weak-looking little old man with pale blue eyes and thin yellowish-white hair he could not put us up he said he had no room in his cottage there was nothing for us but to go on to the next place a village three miles distant on the chance of finding a bed there we assured him that we could go no further 
and after revolving the matter a while longer he again said that we could not stay as there was not a room to be had in the place since poor mrs flowerdew had her trouble she had a spare room and used to take in a lodger occasionally and a good handy woman she was too but now no mrs flowerdew could not take us in we questioned him and he said that no one had died there and there had been no illness they were all quite well at mrs flowerdew's the trouble was of another kind there was no more to be said about it as nothing further could be got out of him we went in search of mrs flowerdew herself and found her in a pretty fine-clad cottage she was a young woman very poorly dressed with a pleasing but careworn face and she had four small bright healthy happy-faced children they were all grouped round her as she stood in the doorway to speak to us and they too were poorly dressed and poorly shod when we told our tale she appeared ready to burst into tears oh how unfortunate it was that she could not take us in it would have made her so happy and the few shillings would have been such a blessing but what could she do now the landlord's agent had put in a distress and carried off and sold all her best things every stick out of her nice spare room had been taken from them oh it was cruel as we wished to hear more she told us the whole story they had got behindhand with the rent but that had often been the case only this time it happened that the agent wanted a cottage for a person he wished to befriend and so gave them notice to quit but her husband was a high-spirited man and determined to stick to his rights so he informed the agent that he refused to move until he received compensation for his improvements questioned about these improvements she led us through to the back to show us the ground about half an acre in extent part of which was used as a paddock for the donkey and on the other part there were about a dozen rather sickly-looking young fruit trees her husband she said had planted the orchard and kept the fence of the paddock in order and they refused to compensate him then she took us up to the spare room empty of furniture the floor thick with dust the bed table chairs wash-hand stand toilet service the things she had been so long struggling to get together saving her money for months and months and making so many journeys to the town to buy all all he had taken away and sold for almost nothing then actually with tears in her eyes she said that now we knew why she couldn't take us in why she had to seem so unkind but we are going to stay we told her it was a very good room she could surely get a few things to put in it and in the meantime we would go and forage for provisions to last us till monday it is odd to find how easy it is to get what one wants by simply taking it at first she was amazed at our decision then she was delighted and said she would go out to her neighbours and try to borrow all that was wanted in the way of furniture and bedding then we returned to mr brownjohn's to buy bread bacon and groceries and he in turn sent us to mr marling for vegetables mr marling heard us and soberly taking up a spade and other implements led us out to his garden and dug us a mess of potatoes while we waited in the meantime good mrs flowerdew had not been idle and we formed the idea that her neighbours must have been her debtors for unnumbered little kindnesses so eager did they now appear to do her a good turn 
out of one cottage a woman was seen coming burdened with a big roll of bedding from others children issued bearing cane chairs basin and ewer and so on and when we next looked into our room we found it swept and scrubbed mats on the floor and quite comfortably furnished after our meal in the small parlour which had been given up to us the family having migrated into the kitchen we sat for an hour by the open window looking out on the dim forest and saw the moon rise a great golden globe above the trees and listened to the reeling of the night jars so many were the birds reeling on all sides at various distances that the evening air seemed full of their sounds far and near like many low tremulous sustained notes blown on reeds rising and falling overlapping and mingling and presently from the bushes close by just beyond the weedy forlorn little orchard sounded the rich full throbbing prelude to the nightingale's song and that powerful melody that in its purity and brilliance invariably strikes us with surprise seemed to shine out as it were against the background of that diffused mysterious purring of the night-jars even as the golden disk of the moon shone against and above the darkening skies and dusky woods and as we sat there gazing and listening a human voice came out of the night a call prolonged and modulated like the cooee of the australian bush far off and faint but the children in the kitchen heard it at the same time for they too had been listening and instantly went mad with excitement father they all screamed together father's coming and out they rushed and away they fled down the darkening road exerting their full voices in shrill answering cries we were anxious to see this unfortunate man who was yet happy in a loving family he had gone early in the morning in his donkey cart to the little market town fourteen miles away to get the few necessaries they could afford to buy doubtless they would be very few we had not long to wait as the white donkey that drew the cart had put on a tremendous spurt at the end notwithstanding that the four youngsters had climbed in to add to his burden but what was our surprise to behold in the charioteer a tall gaunt grey-faced old man with long white hair and beard he must have been seventy that old man with a young wife and four happy bright-eyed little children we could understand it better when he finally settled down in his corner in the kitchen and began to relate the events of the day addressing his poor little wife now busy darning or patching an old garment while the children clustered at his knee listened as to a fairy tale certainly this white-haired man had not grown old in mind he was keenly interested in all he saw and heard and he had seen and heard much in the little market town that day cattle and pigs and sheep and shepherds and sheepdogs farmers shopkeepers dealers publicans tramps and gentlefolks in carriages and on horseback shops too with beautiful new things in the windows millinery agricultural implements flowers and fruit and vegetables toys and books and sweeties of all colours and the people he had met on the road and at market and what they had said to him about the weather and their business and the prospects of the year how their wives and children were and the clever jokes they had made and his own jokes which were the cleverest of all if he had just returned from central africa or from tibet he could not have had more to tell them nor told it with greater zest we went to our room 
but until the small hours the wind of the old traveller's talk could still be heard at intervals from the kitchen mingled with occasional shrill explosions of laughter from the listening children it happened that on the following day spent in idling in the forest and about the hamlet conversing with the cottagers we were told that our old man was a bit of a humbug that he was a great talker with a hundred schemes for the improvement of his fortunes and incidentally for the benefit of his neighbours and the world at large but nothing came of it all and he was now far sinking into the lowest depths of poverty yet who would blame him tis the nature of the gorse to be unprofitably gay all that however is a question for the moralist the point now is that in walking even in that poor way when on account of physical weakness it was often a pain and weariness there are alleviations which may be more to us than positive pleasures and scenes to delight the eye that are missed by the wheelman in his haste or but dimly seen or vaguely surmised in passing green refreshing nooks and crystal streamlets and shadowy woodland depths with glimpses of a blue sky beyond all in the wilderness of the human heart end of walking and cycling chapter 3 of a foot in england by w h hudson